Chapter Twelve of England, Canada, and the Great War. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. England, Canada, and the Great War by Louis Georges Desjardins. Chapter Twelve: The Sudanese and South African Wars. In the two previously mentioned pamphlets, Mr. Bourassa argued at length to prove that Canada had been led to intervene in the Great European War as a consequence of her intervention in the South African War. It is well known throughout the Dominion that the South African conflict was the occasion chosen by the Nationalist leader to proclaim his doctrine that the autonomous colonies should have nothing to do with the wars of the Empire, les guerres de l'Empire. He then strongly opposed Canadian support of Great Britain in her struggle in South Africa. In one of his pamphlets, Mr. Bourassa affirmed that the government of Sir John A. Macdonald had in 1884 refused the request of the imperial government to interfere in its favour in the Sudanese war. Well aware of the events of this struggle, I positively knew that the nationalist leader's assertion was not borne out by the facts, and was historically false. I considered it my duty, in a special chapter, to explain fully the circumstances of the case to my French-Canadian countrymen. It should be well remembered that England was brought into the Sudanese conflict on account of her relations with Egypt, which she had delivered from the Turkish yoke. Mr. Bourassa prefaced his above-mentioned affirmation by recalling the fact that it was in consideration of the Sudanese difficulties that, quote, for the first time in the history of the colonial empire of Great Britain, offers of armed support were made by the autonomous colonies, end quote. Is it not evident that if, as was true, such offers were made spontaneously by the colonies, it cannot be pretended that the proffered armed support was asked by England. If England did not solicit such support, it is plain that Sir John A. Macdonald and his cabinet could not refuse what was never applied for. What are the true historical facts? In November 1884, General Laurie, who has represented one of the electoral divisions of Nova Scotia at Ottawa, who has also held a seat in the British House of Commons, took the initiative to propose to raise a Canadian regiment for the campaign in the Sudan. In the regular official way, General Laurie's offer was addressed to the Secretary of State for the Colonies, Lord Derby. The Imperial Government declined the offer. On the 7th of February, 1885, on hearing the news of the disaster of Khartoum, which caused great excitement in England, and naturally created a strong public feeling to avenge the outrage, General Laurie, always enthusiastic, tendered anew his services. He was not the only Canadian officer wishing to go and fight the cruel Sudaneses. A member of the Canadian Parliament, Colonel Williams, commanding the 46th Volunteer Battalion of Durham East, also desired to take part in the African campaign with his regiment. On the 9th of February, 1885, he tendered his proposition to Sir Charles Tupper, then High Commissioner in London, who sent it to the Colonial Office. On the 10th of February, His Excellency the Governor-General, Lord Lansdowne, cabled to the Colonial Secretary that the offers of military service were very numerous. This spontaneous movement, so rapidly spreading, was the forerunner of those of 1899 and 1914. Thirty years ago, and long before, there were brave men in Canada. There always have been, and ever will be. These news were no doubt very encouraging for the Imperial authorities. Lord Derby, thanking Lord Lansdowne, begged him to say, quote, whether they, the offers of service, are sanctioned and recommended by the Dominion Government, end quote. On the 12th of February, Lord Lansdowne answered Lord Derby that the Dominion Government was ready to approve recruiting in Canada for service in Egypt or elsewhere, 
provided that the men would be enlisted under the authority of the Imperial Army Discipline Act and the expense paid by the Imperial Treasury. It consequently follows from the above dispatches that the Sudanese campaign offered to many officers of our volunteer militia the long-wished-for opportunity to freely tender their services to the Imperial Government that the british authorities never applied to the canadian government then presided by sir john a macdonald for armed support in sudanese africa that on being officially informed of the offers of service received by his excellency the governor-general the colonial secretary before accepting or declining them inquired if the canadian government sanctioned and recommended them that the governor-general answered him in the affirmative the recruiting to be made according to the imperial military act at the expense of the imperial exchequer on the sixteenth of february the war minister then the marquis of hartington informed the colonial secretary that he had come to the conclusion to decline with thanks the offers of service from canada for the reason that it would have taken too long a time to recruit and organize the regiments offered by general laurie and colonel williams was i not right when i refuted mr bourassa's assertion in saying that if a refusal was then given it was by the british government who had received the freely tendered services and not by the Canadian government, to whom no demand of armed support had been made by Great Britain. If it is indeed very astonishing that Mr. Bourassa should have taken the responsibility to affirm that the government of Sir John A. Macdonald had refused to help Great Britain in the Sudanese campaign, it is easy to understand his object in so doing. His purpose was to convince his French-Canadian readers that the political leaders at the head of the government in 1899 and 1914, together with the Canadian Parliament, had in a revolutionary way reversed the traditional policy of canada of non-intervention in the wars of the empire les guerres de l'empire and to achieve his end so detrimental to the best interests of the dominion he did not hesitate to draw an absolutely erroneous conclusion from undeniable historical facts the nationalist leader was very anxious to charge the chieftains of the two great political parties with an equal responsibility for what he terms a revolution in our relations with the mother country with this object constantly in view he pretended that the intervention of canada in the south african war created the precedent which brought about the dominion participation in the european war in nineteen fourteen in order to stir up to the utmost the prejudices of the french canadians he boldly qualified the south african conflict as an infamous crime on the part of england Unfortunately, the true history of the difficulties which culminated in the Boer War of 1899 was at the time little known throughout Canada, and even less particularly in the province of Quebec. At the outbreak of the struggle, wishing to form a sound opinion of the causes of which it was the direct outcome, I made an exhaustive study of the South African question, beginning at the very inception of the Dutch settlement dating as far back as 1652, the year during which the Dutch East India Company occupied Table Bay. Six years later, in 1658, French Huguenots reached South Africa, joining with the Dutch reformists, who rather energetically did all they could to assimilate them. Still later on, besides some few German immigrants, a third group of Europeans settled on the African coast. They were Englishmen. All the Europeans, on landing in South Africa, few in numbers, had at once to contend with the black race, numbering many millions. The history of the long struggle between European civilization represented by the English and Dutch immigrants, and African barbarity, is indeed very interesting. Carefully read and studied in all its bearings, it strongly impressed upon my mind the conviction that had it not been for the timely armed protection they often solicited and received from England, the Dutch Boers would certainly have been annihilated by the tribes of the black race. 
they could not hope to successfully resist the onslaughts to which they were repeatedly submitted they were saved from utter destruction by the strong arm of great britain occupying an important strategical position by her cape colony the british government had favoured the settlement of the sons of england in south africa for the purpose of assuring by a powerful naval station the freedom of communication with the great region soon to develop into her vast indian empire how and under what circumstances was british sovereignty established in south africa i considered this question the most important to ascertain in order to judge fairly the history of the last century in those regions it was settled by the peace congress of vienna in eighteen fifteen all the european nations represented at that congress have sanctioned british sovereignty in south africa upon the condition of the payment by england to the kingdom of the netherlands of which holland was then a part of the sum of thirty million dollars consequently the sovereign rights of great britain in south africa were henceforth undeniable in my french book i somewhat extensively summarized the development of the british and dutch groups of settlers in south africa it is well known that the boers are of dutch origin that a rivalry did develop between the two national elements is not to be wondered at by any one having some knowledge of the history of the world i do not consider it necessary to go at any length in relating the vicissitudes of the conflict between the aspirations of the boer element and the undoubted rights of british suzerainty as a rule they are sufficiently well known by my english readers but i wish to emphasize the two undeniable facts first that throughout this protracted contest england did perseveringly try to favor south africa with the largest possible measure of political liberty second that the crisis was finally brought about by the persistent determination of the government of pretoria to refuse justice to the outlanders and to the british capitalists who at the urgent request of president kruger had invested many millions in the development of the very valuable mines recently discovered in the transvaal territory though england had agreed to the establishment of the two republics of the transvaal and orange she had maintained her suzerainty on those territories which suzerainty the government of pretoria had again recognized by the convention of eighteen eighty four the most convincing proof that england did not intend any unfair design against the south african republics is the fact that she did not prepare to resist the armed attack of the government of pretoria which could be easily foreseen by the intense organization they were evidently making to impose boer supremacy in south africa in his very unjust appreciation of the policy of great britain in south africa mr bourassa kept no account whatever of the very important fact that war was declared against england by the south african republic how could great britain have been guilty of a hideous crime in not bowing to the dictate of president kruger and his government as the nationalist leader said is beyond comprehension england was absolutely within her right in accepting the challenge of the government of pretoria and fighting to maintain her flag and her sovereignty in south africa fortunately the south african war characterized by deeds of heroism on both sides has had the most satisfactory conclusion it is to be hoped that for many long years the future of that great country is settled with all the blessings that political liberty and free institutions will surely confer on that important part of the british empire the boers themselves have fully recognized that their own national development cannot be better guaranteed and safeguarded than by the powerful sovereignty pledged to their protection on the only condition of their loyal allegiance to the flag waving on the fair land where they can multiply in peace prosperity and happiness the enthusiasm and the admirable courage with which they have rallied to the support of great britain and her allies in the present war is the best evidence how much they appreciate the advantages of their new conditions in the great south african dominion destined to such a grand future 
I most sincerely deplore the persistent efforts of the nationalist leader to pervert more and more the mind of my French-Canadian countrymen by his so very unfair appreciation of the nature of the South African conflict. It was with the hope of counteracting them that I introduced a special chapter in my French edition explaining, as fully as I could, though in a condensed form, the South African question. The assertion that the participation of Canada in the present European war was the sequence of the precedent of our intervention in the South African struggle is also most injustifiable and untenable. Had Canada taken no part whatever in the South African war, it would not have made the least difference with regard to the decision of the Canadian people to support Great Britain and the Allies in their gigantic effort to put an end to Prussian terrorism. The assertion which I most emphatically contradict could have no other object but to prejudice the public mind against Canadian intervention in any of the wars of the Empire. Les Guerres de l'Empire. End of chapter 12